This is a very special episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. I got a chance to sit down with the owner and the publisher of Real Producers, Colleen Rippey. Colleen Rippey works with realtors and all the ancillary services. She's a facilitator and she's someone who's always perfecting her craft. It's a great conversation. It's going to start in a minute. One of the things I'm excited about is I've released my Neuro Boosters app. It's software for the mind. It allows salespeople to access peak states of performance whenever and wherever they want. So basically, they get to decide how they show up at work and in life. Enjoy the episode. Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. This is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Thank you, Mar. I'm super excited. This is great. And we get to be at Roland Park. We're in nature. There's mm. a waterfall behind us. There's people enjoying the day, and we get to play sharing ideas. I know. It's it's amazing. I said when I walked in here, this is the only way podcasts should be done, period. Yeah. So if you hear bird, lions roaring, <laughs> you know we're live. <laughs> so, Colleen, you work with uh, the real estate community. Yes. And that is primarily, you eat what you kill. So these are salespeople that live on commission and die on commission. And some sales agents are phenomenal. And others are good, but they never achieve greatness. You've met hundreds of these people. What do you think is the difference between the great ones and the ones that are just good that never make greatness, never achieve it? Mm, I love that. And yeah, we've told a lot of stories within our magazine and different platforms and avenues for them to share insights and their perspectives and learnings throughout their careers. Um, And honestly, a great task would be for me to actually unpack and debrief some themes for that. But even just on the top of my head, uh, the most obvious one, which, you know, would be no surprise to anyone listening and because it's like a duh, but it helps us to hear sometimes is that like the work ethic. I mean, that I think is at the foundation, um, wanting and being willing to work hard. If you eat what you kill, that means you have to go out there and earn it every day. I actually had a job before I was in a commission based business and I found out literally just in reflection, probably at the time i didn't think this about myself but I actually was the worst type of employee because I wasn't really motivated knowing that I was going to get paid either way so I think a huge benefit of being on in commission which I which I now am and forever will be is knowing that I have to go out there and earn every single commission and work my butt off to get that I was I was I was I was just making sure I didn't you know for the kiddos listening I want to make sure I'm sensitive to that so so yeah working hard having the discipline and I think it goes without saying again talking about work ethic but consistency right because I think the essence of real estate and a lot of commission-based jobs even me selling Cutco knives 
it can be very seasonal and maybe not seasonal based on like the actual seasons of the year, but it's peaks and valleys, right? right? And, you know, you could have a hot month where you sell a ton of homes and it's so easy from a psychological standpoint to feel very fat and happy, quote unquote. Taking your foot off the gas. Exactly. And so, not prospecting. So let's backtrack a little bit. Yeah. So everybody on the planet knows that if you work harder, that you're going to succeed. You kind of suck at it. You put in enough work, you're going to get enough closes. But the reality is that average realtors, let's say, will only work so hard and then they'll stop. And super mm. successful ones will keep on going no matter how successful they are. And so that's a mindset issue. Right. So the mindset determines how hard you work. I agree. And so what do you think is in the makeup of people that just don't give up it's brilliant um i from i guess personal experience because i'm i feel like that's one of the things in life that i'm personally always in search of is like what makes people tick what causes people to reach those upper echelons of success and that's not necessarily success defined by money per se it can be but whatever they we perceive as success in life and just happiness being happy um, and I think like what separates a lot of people from in terms of like their mindset is having a strong why, like a reason to work harder, because I think that's what, at least in my opinion, in the times in my life where I've worked the hardest, it's because I had something bigger than myself or something that I've identified as a far reaching goal that's beyond just that commission or whatever. Right that propelled me to work through the valleys because otherwise you will give up or at least even slow down when things get hard absolutely i think having that reason to keep on going but that that why reason it's almost become a cliche yeah because people go through an exercise i know my why now and you're still not going to do anything yeah because it's beyond that and it's not so much one of those it's almost like fashionable to have like a why yeah. and then there's a true you because I think there's three versions of who we are there's a version we show the outside world look at me I'm a hard worker I'm pretty I'm amazing and then we have this internal version of ourselves this is who I think I am and then we have the actual us and I think most people never figure out the actual us mm. and a lot of people that achieve greatness I think get closer to the who they actually are mm. and that gives them that foundation and that strength to keep on going because if you know who you are and what your purpose is I think that's a true why as opposed to what sounds uh, cool or fashionable right like oh I just I want to buy a house so I'm going to work really hard because that used to be like that was something I was taught in Cutco they're like have a strong why and like you said it's so cliche I've heard it over and over again and it's not that you know, buying a house or buying or having a goal, an income goal to buy something isn't motivating, but that's still temporary, right? Because then when yeah. you buy the house, then what? It, then it's like, well, I need a better house. Yeah. Or I need a better car or I need a better spouse. Mm-hmm. If I had a more supportive, sexy spouse, then that would change everything. Right. Except you. Yeah. Yeah. I At least for myself, because I'm on this journey too, and by no means arrived or or feel like I, I'm always in total alignment. It's a constant evolution that I'm trying to identify within myself. But I feel like 
at least at this point in my life, I'm starting to figure out and unearth what my true passions are. And like you said, like doing some level of self-reflection to then have a level of self-awareness to know who I am, what I'm about, what brings me joy. And just to do more of that, because I'm really only recently within the last like year realized that another cliche is true that money isn't happiness and that's something that if anyone said is this true in the past I would have been like of course it's not true whatever but talk is cheap because I was living a life that was still propelling me towards some vision of oh when I achieve this much wealth or status or influence then I'll be happy but I found myself not happier when I kept getting to new levels and that's when I really had to take a step back and be like what what do I actually want out of this life most people never, ever take the time to do that. Yeah. Or it's just a fleeting thought, and they kind of give a cliche answer. But uh, I was just working with someone else. Uh, this is more like a one-on-one session yesterday at another park I like going to. And so if you're going to do, like, a therapeutic session, why not do it in nature? Right. <laughs> and so uh, for this person, it was helping them uncover their purpose in life, mm. which they uncovered. And then it was, like, their deepest values and criteria in every aspect of their life. So they got a chance to get... This is what I want in my marriage, in my work, in my relationship with my maker, with myself, physically. And just knowing that gives you the foundation you need to move forward. Totally. Most people never know what that is. Yeah. So going back to sales, because this is the No Limit Selling podcast, is you've reached different levels of performance. What was a really valuable lesson that you learned along the way that served you really well the first thing that pops in my mind is a lesson I learned in through selling Cutco and that was for years once I when I started selling Cutco because I I sold Cutco for like a decade believe it or not and what they teach in Cutco I'm not going to say it's wrong because I have to say like Cutco has some of the best foundational training of sales reps and some of the greatest salespeople I know, whether it's real estate or loan officers or people I admire like Hal Elrod, who've written best-selling books and thought leaders, a lot of them actually started in Cutco. Um, but something that they teach in, in training is, you know, follow the manual and show the client the options and make sure you show them all the options and make sure you start with the biggest option and then you drop down. And I'm not saying that's wrong um, because it worked really well. You know, like you start with the giant $2,000 set and if you had jumped from there and started with a smaller option, they would have never known the bigger one existed and you're prejudging them and assuming maybe they wouldn't buy anything um, and or buy that and then you would kind of then sell them something smaller. But so while that I'm not necessarily saying that's not true because there's elements of that, that I still use today. Cause I think that's a foundational training or foundational sales piece, but something that I learned, um, through doing that, it was, I had to finally reconcile within myself that, um, through a lot of reflection and, and uh, like number of years realizing that I was kind of more of a push salesman, saleswoman, than like a magnetic pull saleswoman where to me um, rather than and it kind of applies in a number of different ways but rather than like pushing different options on people 
Um, and that was just one example of it, like how I dropped down, basically flipping it and being more inquisitive. And this is kind of, I think, the new age way of selling. I think we've seen an evolution in how sales are done. Honestly, it's not like the used car salesman push, 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 pressure. It's basically high pressure is what I'm saying. I used to be very high pressure and it actually worked, but I had, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'd open it from the start. They were scared. Um, but yeah, it was, I, I did. And it was very subtle pressure. Like, but I had some cancellations because of that, you know, the data actually showed like, you know, if they canceled soon after that's a sign, you know, they weren't totally comfortable, but I was competitive and I wanted to sell the most and I wanted the recognition. I wanted all the things that came along with being the top person in my office and in the whole country so that's how I was but then I soon learned that I'd have more long-term success when I flipped it from being a transactional salesperson to a relationship salesperson which along with that came a more approach of asking questions listening to the client getting way more information on the front end before I would even show them options and then I may not sell something huge in a situation, but I would gain their trust and I'd leave with a sale that day rather than probably nothing. Yeah. That stuck or a yes that turned to a no. Exactly. What's always interesting is sometimes we learn something that's useful then we come back to it later on and we realize how much more powerful it really was. Like you kind of get this because you've changed. You appreciate that technique a lot more. Yeah. So it's, it's always paying attention to what we're doing is one of the marks of great salespeople is being fully present and seeing what's going on. Totally. Yeah. I, that's exactly how I feel about uh, when I was selling Cutco. Like at, for, for a number of years, because I was still, I started when I was 20. Right. So I was still young, impressionable, just kind of doing what they told me to do. And then you start to learn just through experience, like, not only what actually works, uh, because, you know, you, you want to sell, you want to make money, but then you gain, I feel like I gained a level of empathy working with people. And it wasn't like they were just a number to me. It was like, I wanted to actually do right by them for the sake of it, which ultimately also ends up putting more money in our pockets. So it's, it's a win-win. It's build a relationship and it's, uh, the realtors going to keep on selling homes. So why not, uh, do that? Yeah, Exactly. It's the same in real estate and the ones who that's another to your original question, like what separates the greatness? I think what I just said is a huge factor. The ones who are super successful treat, truly treat this, not all talk because everybody would say they're in the business of building relationships, but actually doing this, taking the steps to make that a reality, showing loving on your clients, not just at the closing table when you're getting paid, not even just, I mean, one step even just beyond 90% is even doing something a year later, you know, like keeping in touch with them, sending them a gift in their one year anniversary. I mean, there's so many things they can do and this applies to any business, but in real estate, in this example, like sending your clients gifts and being proactive about showing them that you love and appreciate them. So let me ask you a question. There are uh, realtors that live and breathe this and then they build a team and they are very successful at getting their team to follow that same philosophy and other people fall short who's someone that comes to mind that did a really good transition from being a solo person and then they built a team that basically has that same feel and caring and connection with their clients 
Wow, that's a great question. I'm like, I'm going through like my mental Rolodex because there's so many and probably people are going to be listening to this and like, why didn't you say me? Uh, <laughs> out some of these people. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it, you know, somebody that actually we both know, um, and he's on my mind because I just actually got an amazing uh, connection referral from him by email today, Mike Schiff. Um, and and I know every every team has some level of, of turnover, so I don't necessarily think that that's, you know, I don't even know to what degree they've had turnover. But still, from what I've perceived, both him and Jen and the culture that they've created in their team, it sticks. And I, I watch their Instagram stories. I don't know how much you follow, you know, what they're up to. That That's, a, I mean, from talking to them and watching that, like, you can just get a vibe that they 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 get it done they get business done and that's the priority but they also have so much fun together like just playing different games together and doing activities together outside of business like getting together it's a family yeah so I think modeling that within their own organization it just has this inherent teaching within it that that's how you also treat your clients and they model it with themselves and then they go out and they do it and I saw them do client appreciation events all together and so like like they can all participate in it with their clients and bring them all it's like this giant team appreciation and it's things like that like teams the teams that come to mind are ones that I'm thinking that like uh, Annie Balser Zach she has an amazing team culture and it's it's mostly women except I think her husband um and but the guy in the background in the pictures I think I've yeah seen yeah um but but yeah, it's it's a bunch of badass girls and or women, not girls, but they're 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 killing it. And everybody that I can think of, like, they have an amazing team culture, but they also have learned and started con- to condition to love on their clients in a variety of nice. ways. Hosting events, it's hard now with COVID going on, but bringing people together face to face, which again builds long term relationships. maintain those customer relationships, all the things that made the company successful, how do they put it in the hearts and minds of their uh, their administrators to their agents? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not something that's necessarily easy to do, which is why I think the majority of agents out there um, have a hard time making that transition and, and building a team, I mean, for a number of different reasons. Um, and a lot, some of them don't really want to manage people. You know, they just want to worry about their own their own business. Right. It's, it's kind of interesting. I saw this show a long time ago. It was about founders of great companies. Mm-hmm. The ones that got to a certain level and continued doing what they were doing, but they hired someone to take over the business. And so one of the companies, there was a spreadsheet company called Lotus123 that was like around a long time ago. And they were like the 800 pound gorilla. And they found a finally said, you know, hey, I want to be in engineering, coding. So I'm gonna hire a professional CEO to run the company and do all that stuff. And I'm gonna just go play where I want to play because I'm holding the company back and I'm not having fun being the leader. And it's so interesting the people mm. that were confident and comfortable enough to go, hey, I'm a creative. I'm not like a guy that runs this kind of thing. So why force myself 
to do it. That's brilliant. And there were other people that were holding the company back by just, you know, I'm the boss, I'm doing everything, and, and off I go. I feel like that's probably the more common reaction because it takes a humility to do that, yeah. especially when it's your baby if you built it from the ground up. What is one area that you're working on to make Colleen 2.0 emerge? Like, is there one area that you're trying to get better at? The main focus for me right now, which kind of detracts from business, I can talk about a business one if, if that was your no, goal or just anything. Um, you know, my relationship with my wife, Jill, um, and that has a ripple effect to really all my relationships because that's the most important one. And there's so much I could say because, you know, I'm one that's I'm I'm all about therapy and unpacking things like we're we've been doing Zoom couples therapy during COVID and that's been a game changer and really amazing. But, you know, I've I've noticed over the years and I've had to really come face to face with the fact that I treat most I, I treat like my business relationships and clients sometimes better than my wife or people that don't know me as well or that you know it's almost like you take your closest relationships for granted yeah it's uh you hurt the ones you love yeah and here's why i think that happens yeah you're bad no that's not <laughs> at all. So i'm bad remember i talked about those three faces yeah the one we showed the outside world yeah uh, who we think we are and who we actually are i think because we're in loving relationships we show our loved ones the person who we actually are. Mm. And the people that are strangers, we show them the version of ourselves that we want them to see. Yes. And so it sounds like a bad thing, and it is, but what's really happening is because we trust and love the people we care about, we do not feel the need to... Put on that face. Put on that face and kind of like uh, bamboozle them. Yeah. And the unintended consequence is that we treat them badly. Yeah. Get down to that thing I was talking about, knowing who you are. Like the person I was leading yesterday, one of the things to kind of demonstrate, you know, so in your marriage, what is, you know, important? What has to be there in order for you to be fulfilled? And for this person, it was like uh, attraction, uh, it was connection, it was humor, and uh, there was another five or six values that were really important so then it was like okay attraction how will you know you have attraction people never take that step mm. would you be able to see hear or physically touch and she said well there'd be lots of touching there'd be a lot of initiating from me and my husband Becky and we would share common values and there was a list of things that she, if that was happening she would know that we have this attraction. Mm. What a gift it would be for her husband, which is probably reading it today, kind of going, so that's how you feel attraction. I can do that. Yeah. That's one I can't do because that doesn't suit me. And then we can have a discussion about it. And then it's like, I love you anyway. It's like when you don't know what that is, it's like buying that new car and not being satisfied we talked about earlier. Or I've got the new house and now... Is that all there is? Yeah. And in the marriage, the same thing. is that if you don't articulate, think about what's important to you and what the criteria is, uh, and share it with your spouse and have them share theirs with you, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, and this thing that you're calling X, I'm calling Y, and we think we're missing, but we're talking about the same thing. Wow. And all these arguments that got started when we were fighting about the same freaking thing, people kind of go, 
I can't believe I did that. That's that's amazing. I I completely agree with that. Well, everything that you said from just who I show to the world versus versus who Jill gets to see. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. My movement. I'm starting a new I movement. I would love that. Tell me about it. <laughs> so that lady over there that you can see out there. Yeah. You could go over there and say hello to her. Mm-hmm. And if you took a moment and you looked at her and you went, if I connected with her with my heart, what would I say? What would I do? And all of a sudden, uh, it would change the way you approach her. And there might be something noble or beautiful or noteworthy that you would say that would be authentic and true mm. when you come from your heart and it would change the way she would react back to you yeah but she might mace you but other than that <laughs> <laughs> what we tend to do is if we're going to go say hi it's like it's very artificial it is hi I'm a realtor or whatever I'm going there to talk about you but I really want you to ask me about me yes so what if we total strangers before we said hello it was like we connected heart to heart first mm. and then what if we did it with the people we truly love so in that moment like at some time soon uh, your wife is going to be picking you up and you're going to get in the car and you would have done uh, you know hey babe and she would have said how was the podcast and you would have said you know whatever you said but if before you stepped in you went if I wanted to connect with my heart what would I do am I sure what does your heart tell you what would you say to her mm. well I don't know if this is my heart or not. Um, I would... My initial reaction is to talk about, to ask her about whatever she just did and be genuinely interested. Nice. Which, again, I know that's not like mushy from the heart stuff. Which is fine. But it's only because I know that just based on what we've been uncovering, like one of the biggest issues that we're that I'm trying to improve on at least something that I struggle with is being fully present fully listening letting her finish and I tend to unintentionally kind of dominate the conversation and even if she is talking I'm either looking at my phone or somehow I flip it and make it about me like and just being real so if but but even if I just had a second to pause and go in the car with that intention that's already a game changer because otherwise I just wouldn't have the presence of mind to consciously do that thank you for sharing that and I think that kind of ties up what we're talking about so when you show up in an authentic way in sales and leadership in life it changes the entire system yeah and people that are truly great at sales are self-possessed and the reason they can keep on going is because they're truly as opposed to who they think other people want them to be. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Colleen, thank you so much for sitting down with me. This was great. Let's do it again. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming and that is the fastest way to get better results. 